You know, there's always been this cultural awareness, this cultural view that the real narrative of our world and our lives is light versus darkness. I mean, that this idea that evil is a darkness that must be fought because its design is to destroy and ruin what is good. And we have this in some of the biggest blockbusters of you know, our modern culture when it comes to the whole Star Wars thing. The dark side, Darth Vader uh, and Emperor Palpatine willing to blow up two planets in two episodes uh, because of their incessant greed for more power and no matter how many people they have to kill and oppress, their greed for more power drives them to destroy what is, what is good. And you have the same thing in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. In the Hobbit, you have this, this Mordor, uh, Sauron, the orcs, Isengard represents this growing darkness, this growing evil, destruction, death. And, and you just sort of have this narrative of the light versus the darkness. And yet, that really is not just a modern cultural thing. It's as old as the Bible itself. The Bible has this thing in lots of places. It's one of the most common imageries that the Bible uses, light versus darkness, to, to describe the behind-the-scenes real narrative of what's taking place in our world and in our lives. The real narrative behind the scenes is darkness versus light. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul when he encountered the risen, glorified Jesus the day that changed his entire life. And let's be honest, it's changed our lives. I mean, we're here today talking about this because of Jesus encountering the Apostle Paul, Paul encountering the glorified Jesus. And Paul gives an account in Acts 26, verse 17, of what Jesus said to Paul when he appeared to him, at least one of the things. He says this, he says, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes. This is all imagery. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Darkness, Satan, light, God, opening their eyes. And Paul, Jesus was just simply summarizing all of reality in sort of one sentence, one command, and Paul never forgot it which is why 25 years later when he was writing his letter to the Ephesians, what Jesus said there also becomes his imagery that he uses to describe the real behind-the-scenes narrative of our world and of our lives. And so when we get to chapter 5, he, he goes to that direction. Verse 8, chapter 5 of Ephesians, he says this. For, he's talking, to remember, to those who believe in Christ. He says, For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. This whole light, darkness thing, and you're children of light. Live as children of light. There are certain things that a child must do. I learned this the hard way. When I was a teenager uh, in high school, I, it was a hot summer and my dad had been wanting me to mow my lawn, mow our lawn, cut our grass, and you know it had gotten long. And finally, he said to me when he was leaving for work, "I want that grass cut when I get home this morning." 
And he looked at me in the eye. He didn't usually have these kind of ultimatums, but I knew he was serious. I didn't know what the punishment would be. I knew it wasn't one I wanted to have. And so I decided, yeah, this is he's serious. And so he went to work, but it was a summer day. And my friend, my best friend, Tom Heineman, still lives in St. Louis, uh, growing up, my best friend, he came over and we were going to, you know, have goof around that day. But I said, okay, here's the deal. I, I got to cut the grass before I can have any fun because my dad said I has to be cut. And my friend, I knew he'd kind of be this way. He has a really strong work ethic. And so he said, you know, I'll do it. I go, really? And he goes, yeah. And so she, he went out and he was in the front yard sweating, cutting my grass. I'm inside on the, in the air conditioning, bowl of cereal, watching TV <laughs> while my friend is out there cutting the grass. This in a lot of ways describes our friendship, by the way. And, and uh, suddenly... My dad came home early that day from work. And he, yeah, that's how I felt. And, and he comes walking in the door from the garage, and what are you doing here? And uh, he said, I thought I told you to cut the grass today. And I thought, well, technically you said I needed to have the grass cut before you got home. He goes, get out there and mow your lawn. It turns out there's certain things that he wanted me to do because I was his son's work ethic and all that I had to do because I was his son. And it, there's certain things as a child of the light that we must do. And here's what it is. We must do light. Let's look again at this verse and, and let's read the next one. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness righteousness, and truth. Now, here's what's happening here. What the Bible does is it gives us imagery. It gives us imagination, sometimes more than information. And it wants us to imagine goodness, righteousness, truth as light in a dark world. And it also wants us to imagine the opposite of that as darkness. So the verses before this, let's start in verse 3, says, but among you... There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. He said in the first chapter that every believer in Christ has been made holy, blameless in God's sight. They're improper for God's holy people. He goes on and he says, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. Just the way a person, a child of the light talks needs to have a sense of joy and gratitude rather than obscenity and, and coarse joking. And then he goes on and he says this, for of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now this is We've got to remember, this is kind of, he said in the first chapter, he wanted to assure his readers that when they heard the message of the gospel and they believed, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is his language. He says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance. It's a done deal. Past tense. Now it sounds like he's saying, no, no wait a minute, is it still up in the air? You were sealed by the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing, guaranteed, it's done, you're sealed, past tense, your inheritance. 
I think what he's saying is the kind of thing the Bible says a lot, and that is, look, you're not of the darkness. You were, but you're no longer of the darkness. You're an heir. People who are not an heir give themselves to sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. That's not who you are. You're an heir. So don't give yourselves to that. But it, we have to be honest. It's one of those verses, and there are a few verses like this in the Bible, that, that want to make it clear that it's, it's, it's never okay to give ourselves over to the darkness. The Bible never tries to comfort us that it's okay to give ourselves to the darkness. It's always going to have language like this that makes it like, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't do this. I'm a child of the light. And so he goes on and he doubles down in the next verse. Becomes even more. He says this, let no one deceive you. So there's going to be people who are going to try to redefine sexual immorality, redefine greed, redefine what the Bible says. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath, now the wrath means God's hatred of the darkness, that any, his hatred of anything that destroys what he loves, his creation, his people. God has hatred for anything that destroys what he loves, his creation, his people. He's, he hates the darkness. That's God's wrath. So because such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, the word comes here in English, you can see this is what it is in the Greek that it's written in as well. It's in the present tense. We don't really notice those kinds of things in English because it's not really that big of a deal. In Greek, it was always a big deal, and they always had particular ways of spelling things based upon the tense it was in. And the present tense means it's already happening. Paul very well could have said will come, which he does a lot. He could have used that form of the verb, but he used the present tense to say God's wrath is already in play. It's already built in to how he's created the universe. In other words, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, they're their own punishment. It's already happening. Anytime you live against the grain of how God has made the universe, you're going to experience the painful consequences of that. Or has some, somebody once said that whenever you go against the grain of the universe, you're going to get splinters. It's already built into how God has made the universe. It, it comes. His hatred of what destroys what he loves, it comes when we violate the principles of how God made all creation. I think a really great example of this is how the sexual revolution that culminated in the 60s, was a big deal in the 60s, never delivered on its promise of more love. Remember those who, at least I do, I'm old enough to remember, that those who were trying to push the sexual revolution in the 60s, they, really were, they were always careful to equate any kind of sex with the word love. So the 1967 drug sex fest in San Francisco was called the Summer of Love. It even turned off George Harrison. After that, he decided not to do drugs. He got more involved in Eastern religion. That wasn't the solution, but you can see it even had an impact on one of the Beatles. It was such a mess. Free love was a phrase. 
Make love, not war. If you can't be with the one you love, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young saying, then love the one you're with. Well, who's, who's against love? So if we equate any sex with love, well, then I'm, I'm for love. But now a generation or two later, depending upon how old you are, largely because of the sexual revolution of the 60s, we've become cynical about love. You don't really hear a lot about love on social media. We're sort of cynical about it. We sort of smirk at the idea of lifelong love. And, and, you know, it just, and I think it's because we've seen just generational distraught, generational destruction, generational brokenness in marriages, in the family, in our lives, largely because the sexual revolution didn't bring us more love. And so many people's sex lives have become as lonely and confused and broken and cynical and self-centered today as ever. It's interesting to me that the F word, I'm, all, I'm, I'm just going to say the F word. I said poopy diaper a couple weeks ago, but I'm just going to stop it at the F word. <laughs> the F word when used as a verb, let's, just, let's get more specific. When the F word is used as a verb, it's usually talking about sexual intercourse between two non-married people. It's, a, it's, a, it's an intentionally obscene way to say it. It's kind of part of the, part of the transgression of it. Or, or, when it's used as a verb, it's used as a synonym of when you want to mess up or ruin or destroy something or somebody. You're going to F them over. I think it's interesting that both ways we use it, we just somehow unconsciously intuitively already know it means the, both, means the same thing both ways it's used. To ruin, to mess up, to destroy what was intended to be good. I think it's significant that along with sexual immorality and impurity, Paul puts greed on this very short list. You know, you remember he had three things that are light. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. I think that's why he focuses on three things that are darkness. And greed is on this short list of the three. And I think it's because, like sexual immorality and like impurity, greed is never satisfied, no matter how much it has. A great example of this is the richest man in the world. I, I think, from what I read, it's Vladimir Putin. We don't really quite know how much he has. But we know he has used his position in government for the past 20-something years and the corruption of that to become immeasurably wealthy. And no matter how much money he has, what we've seen in recent weeks, it's not enough. And his drive for more, this greed that drives him for more, we can kind of see the darkness with it because of the mass killings, the murders that he's committing to get more because what he has is not enough. It's easy for us to see the darkness there. But here's what Paul is saying. That the same darkness there is the same darkness that energizes sexual immorality, impurity, and greed of any kind. Even in us. Because see, let's be honest. The truth is, you never have enough 
to be satisfied whenever you're not living in the light. Let me say it again. You'll never have enough to be satisfied. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, money, possessions, whatever it is, people's approval, whatever it is, you will never have enough to be satisfied. It will never be enough. You will always be complaining. You will always be grumpy. You will always be cynical. You will always want more anytime you're not living in the light. And that's why the very next sentence, the very next verse is the first one we looked at. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. Now, just think about this for a minute. You were once darkness. Now, he's going back to what Jesus said, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. You were once darkness, but now you are. This is present tense. You are Light in the Lord, in Christ, is what he means by the Lord. You're light. Live as children of light. Now, I've highlighted different words here because I want you to see something here. You are light, and then he gives a command to live as children of light. Here's the thing. We have to just look at it logically. If you are light means that you can't not live as light, you're going to live as light. If you are light, there's no reason for him to give the command to live as light. The reason why he's given the command to live as light is because it must be possible for a child of light to not live as light all the time. And I think it's important that we understand that because it does explain, I think, the reality we all know experientially. It explains, in fact, the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Judas, we're told, was a child of the darkness the whole time, son of the darkness. And he betrayed Jesus, and Jesus was arrested and crucified. That same night, at the same time, there's Peter, who we're told is a child of the light. He denied Jesus three times, but there was a moment there in time when they both looked the exact same. You weren't quite sure which direction either of them were going to go. But because Judas was a child of the darkness, he continued in the darkness. Because Peter was a child of the light, in spite of the fact that he had a dark moment, no doubt, denying Jesus three times, he he came back into the light. Which is why right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our sins. In other words, every time, Jesus just assumes, every time we're going to come encounter the light by praying to God, we're going to have darkness to confess. It's built right in. I don't know, this has always been a comfort to me. Because it it, it helps me understand the reality of my own life, and it helps me understand kind of the story of my life. Because see, when you're, what's the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian is that when a Christian slips into the darkness, that God's spirit wakes them up. And they sort of come to their senses and they say, what the heck am I doing? I don't want to do this. I don't want the darkness. I want goodness. I want righteousness. I want truth. I don't want impurity. I don't want sexual immorality. I don't want greed. I want to to live like I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. This is not who I am. This is who I am. I'm not a child of the darkness. I'm a child of the light. 
I want to walk in the light. And we, we step back into the light. We might even pray the Lord's Prayer. And in that, confess our sins. And we're stepping back into the light. And, and the more we grow and turn to the light, the more we become more and more living like children of light. And the more we realize that we really do want the light. And the less the darkness becomes even attractive to us. That's called spiritual maturity. And it's a process. The thing is, is that you... you you can't, there's a, there's a critical connection between how you think of yourself and what you do. Which is why Paul says, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Here's what you are, you're light. You're an heir. You've already been made alive with Christ. Seated with Christ. You've already been raised with Christ. You're already an heir. You are light. So live as a child of light. There's a connection between how we speak to ourselves and what we do. There's a connection between how we see ourselves and identify ourselves and what we do. Because life is hard and temptations are real and it gets messy. And sometimes we're not sure which way we're going to go. We have to speak to ourselves the whole way through. Let's watch this video real quick of a woman who's got one leg skiing in the Paralympics. And you can hear her talk to herself. The audio is not great, at least from up here I can't hear it. But you can read what she says in the, in the red subtitles. Let's take a moment and watch this. Listen to Steph ski. Sound on. What can she do here? Now, can she get the line right over the lake jump? She needs to set it up. Well, here needs to come out from the left. <laughs> there you go, she's chatting to herself all the way down here. She's talking to herself, saying, Stay on it, stay on it. She says, 92 through the gun, 57 miles an hour. Absolutely incredible, brilliant ability. From Yalan, chatting to herself. Come on, she says. 128.19. Medvedev's time, 136.6. Jones's time. And Yalan is going to finish. She might even take the lead. Oh, she's going to take the lead. Yalan. A quite brilliant ski from the youngster. That's the Christian life. We're all broken this side of our resurrection. We're just trying to make it to win the race, right? But we, we've got to talk to ourselves forward, forward. Whoa, 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 not there, not there, not there. Forward. Oh, my God, you're my God. You're my God, help me. You're my God. I'm a child of the light. You're my God. I live for you. I'm in Christ. I want to live like I'm in Christ. I want to live in goodness and righteousness and truth. I'm not a child of the darkness. That's not who I am. I'm not sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. I'm a child of the light. Whoa, forward. Come on. Come on. Come on. And we finish the race. But you have to learn to speak to yourself. And you have to learn to speak to yourself in a better imagination than sin does because sin uses your imagination to create your desires. But the Bible is filled with better imagination, light, heirs of a 
inheritance that no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, the Bible says. We have a better imagination, but speak it to yourself. That's exactly what Jesus did the last night with his disciples. That same night that Judas betrayed him and that same night that Peter denied him, Jesus took the bread and he took the wine and it was the meal of the Passover that for centuries had been pointing to him. Go ahead and get yours out. If you're watching online, you can get crackers or juice or bread, wine. Jesus took an image, which is what the Passover meal was. And he took an image and he said, this has always been me. This is my body given for you. I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats the bread I live, I give, will never be hungry, but will have the light of life. I'm the bread of life. This is a better imagination. The bread that we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. We're coming to him and we're sharing in his sacrifice for us, his perfect sacrifice for us. We're identifying with his sacrifice for us. We're becoming one with him through his sacrifice. Let's say this together. We are one body and we share one bread. Take and eat. Jesus took the cup that had incredible imagery. It was dark red, the cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for many for their forgiveness of sins. Again, right there. You can't even do communion without realizing that you need forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is giving you an image to help you imagine he is the perfect sacrifice. He's the best wine that's saved for last, just like the wedding feast when he turned water into wine and they said it was the best wine safe for last that's Jesus he's worth waiting for he's worth living for and when we come here we're reminded that he is the perfect sacrifice for our sins the cup that we share unites us together as brothers and sisters in Christ let's say this together we have died together we will rise together. We will live together. Take and drink. If you've heard the message of the gospel, believing you've become in Christ, one with Christ, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you, and you've become light in Christ. So live as children of light. Let's stand to receive God's blessing from 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul writes this, May the God who said, light, let light shine in darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great week.